Hey, dear listeners, today's guest is the incredibly funny and talented Vanessa Bayer. I first met Vanessa when I hosted Saturday Night Live. I was so nervous and she was so friendly and helpful, despite having even more on her plate than I did. I rewatch her sketches constantly and her impersonation of Rachel from Friends makes me laugh every time. Later in the episode, April Beyer of Level Connections is back as my official co-host of our advice segment. As you know from previous episodes, April brings great insight and years of experience. I am so thrilled to have her. I'm also very excited to announce the official Deal Breakers game. You've heard me quiz guests about the crazy things they would or wouldn't tolerate in a romantic partner, and it almost always leads to fascinating and surprising conversations. Well, now you can play with your friends around a table, a campfire, or a computer screen. We really put a lot of thought into this, and I can't wait for you to play it. Deal Breakers goes on sale May 11th wherever books are sold, and you can pre-order now by following the link in the show notes. I can't wait to hear what you think. Okay, here's Vanessa Bear. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified. With your host, Anna Ferris. Vanessa, oh my God, it's so nice to see you. I want to start by telling you how terrified I was hosting SNL and how you were so supportive and kind to me. And I was so grateful. That's so nice. I had such a nice time with you. And I remember... When you came to host, you had just done this big interview in a magazine that was like this really cool interview. And you mentioned all these women and you mentioned me like that we're doing cool stuff in comedy. And it was like, that was really, I mean, I think it was my second season on SNL or something. And it meant so much to me that you did that. And then when you came and hosted, I was like so excited to meet you and stuff. And I remember your movie had just come out and I went and saw it by myself, like on a day off or something. Like I was so excited to meet you and you were just so sweet. And like, I had so much fun with you. It was so nice to just like have you there that week. Well, Vanessa, truly, like, I think you were so brilliant and you were just so sweet to me. Oh my gosh. Well, I loved having you there. And I remember that was a really fun show. And truly, when you gave me like a shout out in that magazine, it was like the first time anyone had done that. And maybe the last, I don't know. But it it was like really, it meant so much to me. Well, I meant it. You are brilliant. So wait, but you have an older brother. Yes, I do. And you're the younger sister. I'm the younger sister. He's two years older. We're very close. And he was in New York basically the whole time I was on SNL. Neither of us lives there anymore, but he was there like the whole time, which was so nice. And he would come to shows all the time. Was he always supportive? Like, did you guys go through periods? Oh, I mean, when we were little, like we would fight all the time. Like he would say, like, my mom had two more things of love for him because he's two years older. (gasps) Your mom, she's really married the idea of time and love. (laughs) Yeah. I guess that's practical. (laughs) Yeah. And I never believed him. I was always like, that's just absolutely not true. But so we would like fight and stuff. But he was always like, if I genuinely like felt bad because of something he said, he would always apologize. Like it was sort of like pretty harmless fighting, but we would just like get annoyed with each other. 
And then in high school, like, I thought he was so cool. And he was like, always into these really heavy, hardcore punk bands and stuff. And like, I would try to go see his shows or like, go to shows that he would go to. And I just, you know, didn't really fit in. But anyways, once he went to college, that's, I think, when we got the closest. I think because having that space a little bit yeah. made us closer. What about you? Are you close with your brother? We're really close now, but we fought horribly. Like, it was for years, and I'm not quite sure why, but now we're so close. We're so close that we talk about it, and we try to, like, digest it. We usually blame my parents. Totally. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> So would your brother be always supportive after the shows? Yes, he was always so supportive. And he's a really calming person, I think. And so it was always nice to see him and to talk to him. And yeah, he was always really supportive. It was always great to have him there. Thinking about what I admire so much about you and your performance is is sincerity of character. Oh, that's so nice. And I think that having that quality, you know, it really took me by surprise when this town was so, I don't know why I was so naive about so many things, but when our business really divided the two worlds of comedy and drama. Yeah. So it was like, I mean, such a blockade. Do you feel that too? Yeah. I mean, I guess they're starting to like meld a little bit more now, but yeah. I think the content is melding too. Yeah, but you're seeing. Yeah, which gives me hope because... (laughs) I like the idea of being able to do all kinds of things, but it feels like there's a lot of blurry genre shows now, I think. Yes, totally, totally. I feel like it's so funny because like when you get grouped into one of those categories, you like really want to do the other one. (laughs) Yeah, you're so right. That's such a weirdly comforting thought. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Someone said to me once, I wish I could remember who it was, and but maybe it's like just a widely known thing is that like all comedians want is to like prove that they can cry, like to be on camera, show that they can cry on camera. And I'm a little bit like, oh, that's a hundred percent true. You know what I mean? Like we all just want to be like, oh, we're really good at yeah. drama stuff too. <laughs> oh God, you're so right. It's all so vain. Yeah, it really is. It really is like, oh my God. Uh Okay, wait, can we talk, though, about your experiences at SNL? The story feels so fascinating to all of us. Like, did you have a character that you were in love with that never made it on the air? Or what characters you really loved that were on the air? Or even the process of pitching a character? Yeah. Can you walk us through some of that stuff? With, like, Don Lazarus. Yes, yeah. For our listeners, Don Lazarus is this, I don't know, Vanessa, how would you describe her? She's fucking brilliant. I love her. She's a weather forecaster, but she doesn't really speak in full words or sentences. So she sort of trips over things. It's in like the cadence of a weather person where they're just like constantly talking, but the words, God, could I do it right now? I don't know if it's gross to be like doing your characters, but. Oh, I would love it. It's sort of like, and the weather, it's, um, and yes, and ha- and uh, it's just all like, and there'll be chilly, and it's done. It's just like not, it's all, it's my friend Jeremy and I, who's actually the person that I'm creating my show with, we wrote that together because I think I was always sort of talking to him like that. <laughs> First, we were going to have it be the host of a like really intense game show, like a who wants to be a millionaire kind of things. And we would have it so that like everything would get introduced in this super like fluorescent lights kind of thing. And then I would come out 
as the host and I would just be talking like that in a way that like really didn't go along with the way everything looked and like the contestants couldn't really understand me. And that made it to dress rehearsal once and then it got cut for time, I think. So for people who don't know, like there's the eight o'clock dress rehearsal and then sketches get cut after that. And then there's the live show at 1130. So it's like you may remember, like, oh, it's so sad, like the stuff that gets cut. Totally. Yes. And you're up there in the room with Lorne and he asks you what you feel strongly about and you're scared out of your fucking mind. Yeah. I felt the same thing with like the other television I've done. But it was heartbreaking, and it felt like he would nudge you very strongly right, right. towards what he wanted. Yeah. I remember both times that happening. You know, it's so funny is that for as many shows as I did there, because I was there for seven seasons, I truly have no idea what happens in that room is such a mystery to us, because we're like— why did this thing exactly get cut? And it's always sort of, I think, my understanding that it probably had a lot to do with Lauren. But then sometimes the host shows up more in this sketch. Why isn't this sketch it? You know what I mean? Or whatever it is. Yeah. But that's what I've heard about that meeting is that it must also be such a crazy thing to be thrown into. 100%. Every day of that week, you have at least four of those moments that are like, is this my decision? I don't know what's happening. Like, that's how it felt like. Even when, like in Lauren's office, like sitting on which chair felt like, yes, am I going to choose the wrong chair? And it's not even, he was wonderful to me. Yes. I think it's just how iconic and legendary it is. I know. Tell me about your first week of being on SNL. Well, I just remember what was so crazy about it was all of the cast, they were, you know, celebrities. They were like people that I knew just from watching them on TV. And so then to like meet everybody was so intimidating because these are now the people that I'm working with. And everyone was so nice. And I remember like Bill Hader took us out to dinner and Fred Armisen emailed me and like someone had a party and Kristen Wiig was so like everybody was so nice But it was so intimidating. It was actually a really good warm-up to the rest of my time there because you're just constantly meeting such famous people and you just have to act normal around them. You know, like Mick Jagger, like people like Paul McCartney or whoever it is, especially because I think some of the cast came from L.A. and stuff where they were more used to meeting celebrities. Mm -hmm. I'm from Cleveland originally, but I was coming from Chicago where like there isn't a lot of that. And so it was so intimidating. But so that was like before we started. And then I'm trying to remember the first week. We were really lucky because our host was Amy Poehler. She just like knew what she was doing. You know what I mean? She just came in and was like sort of taking care of us, like the new people. And I just remember they kept telling us we might not be in the show. It was me and Paul Britton and Jay Farrow and Taryn Killam. And and we were all, I think, in the show, but they told us that, I think, so that we would tell our parents and no one would be upset if we weren't in the show or something. We all got into stuff, but it was just crazy. Like, I just couldn't believe I was there. And you probably felt some of this, too, when you would host. Like, I remember not knowing, like, when to go on stage. Oh, (laughs) completely. And somebody is telling me the same simple thing five times. Stand on that mark. When you walk down the steps, you're going to walk six feet. And still, it's a complete out-of-body experience, I think. 
Yes, it's so crazy. And I had the first line, I guess, in that show, in my first show. Um, like, Jason Sudeikis was playing a politician, and I, like, opened the door to be like, so-and-so is here. And that's all I had to do. <laughs> but I was so nervous, because I was like, what if I trip over the door? <laughs> but it was so exciting. Like, I think that Lorne does that a lot. He lets, like, a new person have the first line of a new season. But yeah, it was just so exciting and that getting to be in sketches with everybody and it was so cool. But as far as like the exhaustion level, I mean, it must be such a grind, right? Oh, I'm so passing over like my first writing night was like a real nightmare. Like I'm just remembering this now. Yeah, my first writing night, I was writing a sketch with a few people and then we were told there was like a similar recurring sketch that was being written so we couldn't do ours. And then I rewrote something and then I ended up only turning in one sketch because, you know, you stay all night Tuesday night writing with the writers, the cast does. And then I remember waking up Wednesday morning and I was still staying at this hotel across the street from Rockefeller Center. And my dad was like, how was your first writing night? And I just started crying because it was so hard because I like had these big dreams of like getting a character on my first show or like whatever it was. And then it was like what we wrote was so bad. We started writing something else, I think, after we were told we couldn't write the first thing. And then for some reason, we had to not write that. And then we ended up writing something else. I don't know how that process goes. Like anything, of course, the early work would be rough, I would think. Yes, totally. I think like your dream is that, I mean, I was in a sketch, all-female sketch comedy and musical parody troupe in college called Bloomers. I just saw your interview with Stephen <laughs> Colbert. We have to talk about this. Okay. It made me giggle so much. Okay, great. I'm surprised I didn't tell you about it when you were at the show. But so I'd written sketch before, but like, like, it's so hard to write sketch. And I think your dream is that like you'll come out like guns blazing your first show and you'll do like a great character and really like make your mark. Now, my second show, I got to do Miley Cyrus. So it was like things go so up and down there in such an unpredictable way. But it was so hard. Yeah. And I was like, and we stay up all night doing this. Like in some ways it was fun because it felt like a sleepover party. But then really it was upsetting because we were doing this new thing that I didn't really know how to do. And I mean, I probably felt this way through like my third or fourth season, maybe longer. You're just like, people know what they're doing? Like, how does everyone know? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And how do you capture the absurd? Because some of the ideas, if you were to sum up a sketch in one sentence are so ludicrous and yet are brilliant. Like, I don't understand the art of writing sketch or acting in sketch. Oh, you are great. You were so funny. Thanks. I think you guys wrote to my strong suits. <laughs> you were great. But it is. It's like, it's tough. Because some of this stuff is like really abstract. Right. And I always tried to get on pretty weird stuff. Well, it does seem interesting with like the sketches that are cut that you find online. Yes. You know, the cut for time sketches. They tend to be more absurd. And I love them. Same. That's my favorite stuff. It's like the kind of more subtle, but like really weird stuff. Yeah. It's so hard to get on. 
Which actually is why I think I always really loved doing the Bar Mitzvah Boy character because, first of all, it feels really close to my personality, but also it was just like me getting to do like really subtle little things. And that stuff is hard to get on because audiences at home don't always see it. Vanessa, I forgot his name. What was his name? His name's Jacob. His name's Jacob. I love the one that you did with Billy Crystal. Oh my God, that was so cool. He wanted to come play my dad. I love that. They were like, Vanessa, would you be okay if Billy Crystal came and played Jacob's dad? I was like, yeah. (laughs) Yes. That was amazing. That was so cool. He was so nice. So funny. But that weird stuff is really hard to get on. And yeah, you just never know from week to week what will make it and what won't. And I would think, too, in the SNL world, like when you would pitch a character, would you perform the character for Lauren? Usually you would pitch it to like the writers that you are working with. Then if you write it into a sketch, it goes to the Wednesday table. But it's also like we're all so into performing. You know, it's that thing where you're like, oh, I don't want to do it. I'm too shy. And it's like, do it. And you're like, okay, that's why you're there is because we all love attention so much and doing these characters and stuff. Vanessa, did you know that the hosts on SNL only get maybe an hour to read the sketches? I now have a sense of that. (laughs) Both times I maybe got through 65%. So then you're cold reading all the ones at the bottom. It was terrifying. I didn't really realize that. And that makes a lot of sense. And also it's probably why to very in extents like when we would be like waiting outside that office to tell you like how to read the characters you probably were like what what are you talking about oh yeah and I read scripts pretty slowly so I can work out how I would do it and you're sweating when you're in that little office just like trying to rush through these sketches that was just so hard knowing that you're walking to the table without having read the last third oh my god I can't even yeah (laughs) and you're in everything I mean how many it felt like there were 60 there's like 40 yeah and like what 12 get in and then nine make it to air or something it's making my heart pound a little bit (laughs) remember I'm sorry I'm sorry I know no I realize that I've spoken a lot about Saturday Night Live as though it was a really traumatic experience for me and it was but I was so honored and it's like life concentrated those experiences it's just unbelievable it was so fun having you there I think we did k-pop yes we did our first j-pop that was awesome and we did like a the dinette yeah I think where we were singing right yeah like 50s stuff do 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 tell them that you want him yeah 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 I feel like it was so long ago I think that Kristen Wiig was like so sweet to me. She really wanted me to rehearse because I could not get the dancing down at all. Oh, yeah. That was always when we'd have to dance. And it was like two steps. And I saw it the other day. And I'm totally out of step. <laughs> like I'm, oh my God. Of course it was. Now when I watch it even, I'm like, oh my God, how did I do this? Like everyone's live and they have to like read these cards. <laughs> There's that feeling of like when somebody's like left or right, left or right. And you just go left, even though you know it's right or something. There's that feeling of brain stumbling. like <laughs> Totally. It's so intimidating. I mean, you obviously adjusted to it. The first time I hosted, it felt like it was a completely different cast chemistry than the second time. The first time was during when President Obama first got elected. So there was like an election show that was happening on Thursday nights as well as the Saturday night show. So everyone was fried and like panicked. And the second time it was like you and Kristen Wiig and Bill. Wow, right. The environment felt much closer, but I don't know if I had an appropriate gauge. (laughs) 
because I spent my time being terrified. <laughs> you know, I obviously only know the time when I was there, but I felt like, yeah, everyone was pretty close. We all thought that the people who were more senior were so cool. It was nice. Like my sixth and seventh year, I enjoyed being like a more senior person and everything. But I loved being a new person too, because it just felt like you had these kind of like older siblings there that you just looked up to. And I was really lucky because, and he's still there. I had Keenan there the whole time. And he is like the ultimate sweet, warm, comforting, genuine. To get to have Keenan there every year I was there, I was so lucky. The first time I did it, he was like you for me. He was like new. Oh my God, yeah. He was so sweet to me. Oh. He would explain things to me. He was truly like my safe harbor that first time. He's so great. He's like one of the greatest humans. Okay, this is a tricky question for you. I was going to ask you what character or role have you most enjoyed playing? But because you're so heavily involved with the conception, you must love them all. Yeah, I mean, I do think the Bar Mitzvah Boy is one of my favorites. Maybe it's like the innocence too? Yeah, and just like the awkwardness of that, I just love. I just think that that's how I am. But so wonderfully immune to like critique. Yeah. But I like all of it. It's all fun. And what's so brilliant about like Totino's, when I talk about sincerity of character, which oftentimes I think can, like in some sketches, you'll be the reactor because you're really good at it, you know? Because right. oftentimes that's what I do. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I had Keenan on a few months ago. Isn't he like the dreamiest? He's great. And we were talking about that position. He can like get a sketch on with his reactions. He would get stuff from the table read with his reactions. It's great that there's like the person to cut to. <laughs> yes. You can let the audience off the hook. So I was thinking about this today. I don't know how the last 10 months have been for you. I've really gotten to a place, and it's starting to concern me, actually. It's not half-acidness because it's not 50%, like I'll unload like a third of the dishwasher. Or <laughs> the laundry doesn't make it to the bedrooms. It just sits in a pile in the living room. <laughs> Even to me, because like I knew like there might be still shots taken of this, for me to put makeup on was like, am I doing something where I need to have makeup on later too? Like I was trying to like put foundation on and I never wear foundation really, but I put it on because I was like, you're putting on makeup today. <laughs> me too. I did like a thing that like a little kid would do where like I just rubbed it on my face and my whole face turned white. Like I had forgotten like, <laughs> how do you do that? I wish our listeners could have seen your demonstration, which was just like <laughs> gently. <laughs> I was like, I know I normally use a brush with this, but it's got to be fine right and so I just like put a bunch in my hands put it on my face and then had to use a paper towel to get it off my face <laughs> there is a time when I would put makeup on almost every day I wanted to have the best skin for you Anna that's really <laughs> kind I want to ask you if you've learned anything about yourself I've learned that I enjoy two very mentally simple activities, puzzling and knitting. <gasps> I just finished a hat today. Me too. I have to show you my hat. I'm going to show you mine too. Oh my gosh, yours is so much better. Oh, yours is so great. Ours are the same. I've just put a poof on it to kind of hide how big the circle is up here. Do you find that it tests your patience? This is a personality comparison. Yes. Turns out there's no shortcutting in knitting because it's all one thread. It calms me down in some ways. I think I've gotten better at it, at being like, you have to take this whole thing out. I started knitting, it twisted, and I was like, it's fine. I think it teaches you patience. 
It's concerning me why I'm craving such mentally simplistic activities and why I will move a box halfway down the hallway and just leave it there. (laughs) Does this mean that I've developed a pattern for the rest of my life of like lack of ambition? I don't think so. Something that I've kind of learned is I'm like a big scheduler. I love to schedule things, know when things are happening. And with all of this stuff, everything's so up in the air For me, I think I've really learned or I'm trying to learn how to like kind of roll with things more. And I think that knitting is like a little example because so I worked on this thing for an hour and I have to take it out. But you use two pieces of yarn at once to knit this and it goes so fast. You just double up. Oh, you just double up. Yeah. And you just knit pearl the bottom and then you knit the rest of it. And then you just like double up at the top, which is I'm sure what you did. I get really lazy and impatient towards the top. Those look great. Well, it's my plan B. (laughs) Right? We could open a store. Yeah. I'll come up with a brilliant name in about a week. Yeah. Okay. Vanessa, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Maybe Paris. I spent a semester there. So it's a huge brag when I was in college. And I just really loved it so much. And I've gone back several times. I love Paris so much, but maybe somewhere in Italy because I went there with some friends a few years ago and Italy is so great too. That was a great answer, right? It was a great answer. (laughs) I love both of those places. Where would you live? I love the idea of renting like a small kind of cold apartment in Venice with my fiance for like two months. Oh, that would be so nice. I like the darkness and sort of the mythicalness of Venice. When I said Paris, I was thinking like, or would it be somewhere like in the countryside of France? What do you envision? In kind of a rustic place that had like a little town, kind of like if the people were nicer, the beginning of Beauty and the Beast. So you would be walking through town with a book? Yeah. And like a basket. And I could buy cheese and bread and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I would want those people to not be judgy about me reading, obviously. No, they'd be supportive. (laughs) (laughs) What was your living arrangement like when you first lived on your own? I was in Chicago still, and I got this apartment that I really loved. I think I was only there for maybe like a year and a half. It was like right off the L train in Chicago. So it was like really easy to get there. And it had a cute like courtyard in the front. I just remember what I loved so much about that apartment, which I still am like, why won't I let myself have this? Is that it was basically just like a bedroom. And then you walk down a hallway where there was like a kitchen area. But the bedroom was sort of like the living room would be like at the base of the bed kind of. And then I had a TV. So like you could watch the TV like sitting in front of my bed or you could watch it from my bed. (laughs) There to me is nothing better than watching TV in bed. What shows were you watching then? Well, it's when I got back into General Hospital. I used to watch General Hospital a little when I was in high school. And I got back into it at that time. And I would watch Blossom every night. I have a couple of really boring stories about this. Did you ever watch Blossom? Yes. Weirdly, I auditioned for it. You did? I sent in a tape from Seattle, (gasps) and I never got to audition for anything in L.A. They never did national casting calls for anything. But you know what it's like when you have those early auditions for, like, something bigger. Yeah. Did you audition to play Blossom or to play Six? Six. Okay. I love it that you know this. (laughs) Well, here's what happened. I started following a bunch of people from Blossom when I was watching it because they would play it on some like Nick at Night type of thing where they would play the repeats every night. And so I was like watching it every night. And then I watched the series finale and it was different than how I had remembered it. 
So I had followed Jenna Von Oy, who played Six, and she had followed me back. And so I messaged her and I was like, you know, I was just watching the series finale of Blossom and it's like different than I remember. I remember it being like a breaking the fourth wall thing where all of a sudden they're like, we're in a TV show kind of a thing. And I said, and that's not what happens in the last episode. So can you lead me? And so she wrote me back right away. Wait, before you answer, were you disappointed? Yes. You wanted the fourth wall broken. I was disappointed, but I also felt crazy. More than anything, I felt like I knew what was going to happen. It's like memory revised, which is frustrating. Yes. Like I remembered watching it in like middle school or whatever. And I was like, this is crazy. This isn't how I remember the finale being. And so I messaged her to be like, you know, just test my own sanity. Yeah. She wrote me back right away. And she was like, I think you're thinking of a few episodes prior to this one. There's an episode called Episode where Blossom has a dream and Six has her own Blossom style show. And it's like they're all in this TV show. And then Blossom wakes up and it was just like all a dream. And I watched it and I was like, that must be what I did. But how validating. Oh, my God. And kind of crazy that she also remembered precisely. And that she was so nice and got back to me so quickly. And I was like, well, that's cool. Like, I'm on TV now. Like, these TV people will get back to me. And then she messaged me two weeks later and she was like, oh, my God, I just realized you were on SNL. Like, I had no idea. To the grace of her heart. Is that a phrase? (laughs) I'm Jewish. (laughs) But she wrote me back just thinking I was just like a fan who like needed this information and she was willing to give it to me. And then she was like, if you're ever in Nashville, let me know. So I was in Nashville for Bonnaroo and I met up with her and she's so nice. And I saw her in New York a couple of times, but one time it was because my brother and I put on this live show for Brooklyn Comedy Festival or something. We did this show called Series Finale (laughs) and we played the finale of Blossom for like an audience at the Bell House. And then we did a panel with like my brother and I and Kyle Mooney and Jenna. She like came on and did the panel with us. And I mean, that's like a full circle ending that I almost left out. But yeah, so I've seen her since. She's so nice. And she actually gave me a Blossom doll, like a Barbie doll. And she brought her hat from the opening credits, which I got to try on. That's amazing. A generous spirit. Yeah, (laughs) I love that. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you were watching Blossom, was that like sort of your formative show? I think my formative show was more my so-called life, I think. I mean, I love 90210 too, but I related more to my so-called life. I feel like I was like one year too old for my so-called life. 
Not that I wouldn't enjoy it. It's just for some reason it wasn't on my social radar as much. You should watch it now. It's so good. I really think you'd love it. I know that I would love it, actually, because I have seen glimpses of it. Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you, because this stemmed from your apartment, did you live alone? Yes. So that was my first time living alone. So before that, I had always had roommates. Did that scare you? I don't think it really scared me, especially because I wasn't like on the first level or whatever. So I was a few levels up. I think I really like being by myself. I love being with other people too, but I really value my alone time. And you could sit me by myself in front of a TV for just hours. I love it. I could do a little knitting. Although sometimes don't you find knitting is like if you're watching a show you really like, you're like, something's got to give. I'm either going to mess up this knitting or I just can't do it. Yeah. So I watch a lot of reality shows if I'm knitting. Yes, that's so smart. But sometimes I still have to do that. What are your favorite reality shows? I had stopped for a long time and I was pretty religious, but for quite a while I stopped, just got back into it. So I'm catching up on like all the housewives. I have like backlogs and I enjoy them. I love the New York women. I love Beverly Hills. Did you happen to see the Beverly Hills list last one with Denise? Yes. It is an interesting blurriness. I was going to ask you about being starstruck and I get really starstruck weirdly with reality television stars. Same. I remember when I saw Mike, the situation from Jersey Shore, I was really surprised at my reaction of extreme giddiness. I was so in awe of him, (laughs) but there it was. It was undeniable. So I wonder how they make good television by talking about nonsense. Yes. It feels exhausting to have to think about, am I compromising my morals if I go along with what I think would be good TV? I don't know. Yes. I feel the same way about reality stars. And I feel that way about people who are on General Hospital and people on like QVC. My writing partner, Jeremy, and I got to take a tour of QVC when we were starting to like write our show. And I think when you see people being themselves on TV, it's almost more intimidating because you feel like you know them, but they're in like a different world. It is. You're right. You're right with those specific worlds too. The reality show world and the soap opera world. I remember shooting a pilot years ago and I remember seeing a lot of the soap opera stars going to the commissary. And they were so glamorous and beautiful and, like, false. Yeah. Like, they seem like they're from a different time. (laughs) I also think that has something to do with the fact that, like, those shows, like, don't care about making things look really realistic or the storylines being that realistic because... That's not why people are tuning in. They're tuning in for like the stuff that they've been tuning in for for years, those storylines and the drama and like the glamour of it. And so like, it seems like it's from a different time because it hasn't really changed. And I wonder too what the timeless pleasure in observing, I don't know, cattiness or people interfering with other people's lives. Yeah. It's so entertaining. And I guess that's where the guilt comes from. Yes. It's so entertaining. But you're right. The most recent episode of Beverly Hills, it was kind of interesting how you were like, is this just like what you sign on for when you do a show like that? I don't know. I don't know either. Okay. Vanessa, what was your first boss like? I guess my first actual job was I was an overnight camp counselor. Was that like also your most favorite job? Oh my God. I loved that job so much. We had so much fun. It was a girls camp and there was like a brother camp to it. 
it was in Ohio, Camp Firebird, and it was like well run, but it was also a little bit like, I don't know if I would send my kids here. You know, it was like a little bit all over the place. And our boss was really sweet horseback rider. <laughs> Let us kind of run wild a little bit, you know? <laughs> The cooks at our camp, I think, were growing weed and like just such a crazy place. I would get like the 11, 12, 13 year olds who were like going through everything. They would get in fights or someone would steal something. I remember this one girl stole her friend's disc man and I had to like pull them aside and have them talk through it. And then one apologized and then she was like, well, I just thought you were going to be mad at me. And the other one was like, well, I just thought you were going to be mad at me. And then they were like, oh, and they hugged. Like, I love doing stuff like that. Like, I loved intervening, but also they were such nightmares at times, but I loved it. And actually, I've run into campers. There's this one woman I ran into in New York, and she was like, I was your camper. I've run into campers before, and it's so fun. I was a camp counselor as well. I think it was the happiest time of my high school experience by far. Yeah. But I was going to ask you, like on a scale of one to five, like how would you rate your high school experience? In some ways, I would rate it as a five because I loved my high school and I had leukemia. Right. I was diagnosed over spring break of ninth grade. So I missed like one quarter of ninth grade. I kind of made it up over the summer. Then I came back to school in 10th grade, but I had intense chemo from like spring break of ninth grade. It's so funny because I remember it by like spring break and stuff because that's how old I was when it was happening. Through like winter break of 10th grade, I had like pretty intense chemo and I like lost my hair and I was weak and stuff. But then I started going back to school slowly in 10th grade. But everybody was so supportive of me. It was sort of amazing. Like, I kind of can't believe that I went through something like that, which was really hard. And I had like all of these people sending me cards. I had these close knit friends who are still like my closest friends. And they would like come over all the time and like fill me in on what was going on at school. And it was hard because I was sort of like on the sidelines a lot. But I felt like to the extent that they could, they were always including me. And to be honest with you, I think in some ways, I didn't even think there was really bullying going on. People were, for the most part, so respectful of me because of what I was going through, which was its own kind of weird thing. But I remember high school so fondly. And I also was very into school. So I like loved my teachers. I wrote this children's book and I did like a tour. I guess it was like a year before the quarantine stuff started, but I wrote this children's book and I did a reading of it at this big library in Ohio and all of these teachers came to it. And it was like so fun to see them because I like loved school too. Like I loved my teachers. I think I was like someone you'd want in your class because I think I was very like respectful and stuff too. But the flip side of that is that particularly the beginning years of high school, I missed out on a lot of stuff. Right. And then I finished chemo the summer before my senior year. And I had like an end of chemo party right before my senior year started. And like, I'm making it out to be too idealistic. It was a hard time. But all these kids came to this end of chemo party and it was so fun. And like, my brother's band played in our backyard and then like the police came because it was sort of like a noise disturbance. And then they like thought we were having like a party with like beer and stuff. And we were like, no, it's just my end of chemo party. And they're like, oh, they felt kind of bad, you know, for like busting us. My mom always thought I was boy crazy is how she deemed it. I think I was just probably pretty normal. You know, I just had intense crushes with like guys that never talked to me or whatever, but I had headgear. Oh my God. I did too, but I was much younger. And actually, I think I only wore it to sleep. 
You had to wear it to school? Only in eighth grade. <sighs> and that was really rough because eighth grade is particularly brutal. That's pretty old. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think they were really hell bent on me staying a virgin for a long, long time because then we went through braces. Anyway, whatever. But were you like that? Did you have intense crushes? I think I sort of did. Like I was starting to have kind of intense crushes in middle school and stuff. And then to be honest with you, when I got sick, my attention kind of went away from that a little bit. I think I would still have crushes on people, but it was like too much other stuff going on. And I felt like a real outsider in that world because I had sort of been sick. And then once I was kind of coming back to school in 10th grade and really in 11th grade, I didn't really date anyone in high school because it was such a weird experience. It's kind of what I was saying earlier that I was really respected. So no one really wanted to like hook up with me. You know what I mean? So then in college, did it completely change? Kind of, but it took a long time for me to figure out. And you went to University of Pennsylvania, is that right? Yeah. And I remember I got into this sorority, which I really only pledged because there was a woman who was like a senior in my comedy group and she was in this sorority. I sort of did it because she was in it and I really liked her, but I was so not cut out for that world. And I remember when we had this night for all of the incoming freshmen who had just gotten into the sorority and we were all supposed to go around and talk about like our most embarrassing moment. <laughs> and, I, and my most embarrassing moment was like, I was at this thing and I was talking about this girl and I realized she was right behind me. Everybody else's story was about sex. <laughs> like everybody else's was like, I walked into this thing and I was naked and I got out of this bed and I was, it like almost made me start crying because I was like, oh my God, is this what people are like? <laughs> because I also think that to an extent, my friends in high school who are like still, again, my closest friends, the best. I think they shielded me from that stuff a little because I think they understood that I just wasn't there. You know what I mean? Like, I just was not there. Whereas, like, I got to high school and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> and I remember I dated this guy my freshman year and then he studied abroad. And I remember my roommate, one of my roommates being like, so, like, how are you doing, like, with him being out of town? And I was like, fine. And she was like, but do you miss, like, she was asking me if I, like, was missing hooking up with him. And I did not understand her question. I was like, what? And she was like, do you miss, like, you know, hooking up or whatever? And I was like, no, it's fine. And I remember being like, oh, my God, my roommate is, like, so into sex. She's a freak. <laughs> I didn't understand any of that until, like, way later in college. It had so not been a part of my life because I was dealing with all this other stuff. And again, I didn't really talk to my friends. I just didn't think that was happening. When she asked me if I miss hooking up with my boyfriend, I was like, yeah, that's insane that you asked me that. Like, you're insane. <laughs> I remember feeling so much the same way. My mom didn't let me have like any women's magazines or like 17. She hated Pretty Woman. She hated Grease. Oh my God, how? Grease, she didn't like it that Sandy. Yeah, that Ending of Greece is like, what are we doing? But I love it. <laughs> and I'm glad that my mom was so conscious of not having those things infiltrate my brain. But it did feel like in college, I had a similar experience in that I felt very hazy about like the code words <laughs> yeah. and they still kind of do to me. Yes, totally. <laughs> I remember just being like, I can't believe this. Like, this is a different world. I don't understand. 
So I went to University of Washington, which is like a huge school, probably like University of Pennsylvania. And because I was such a late bloomer in high school, and that was kind of my identity, like this short, quiet, like we think she does plays somewhere <laughs> in Seattle. And so then when I went to college, I was really angry. And I'm not quite sure why. I wanted so badly for my world to be bigger. And then it kind of was, and I didn't know how to negotiate it. I would dress in all black, and I would wear these really high platform boots, and I would put my Walkman in, and I would listen to, like, Rage Against the Machine. Or you 2 Could go either way. Very cool. <laughs> and I think, of course, it was hard for me to meet friends. I looked like a 12-year-old. <laughs> I bet you looked so cute. I bet the shoes were, like, the size of you. I have this vague memory of a construction worker on campus saying something like, how old are you? And I said, I'm 18. And he said, you look like you're 14. I was going to say, like, when do they start letting 14-year-olds in this fucking school or whatever? And I did have to give myself pause because I remember that day and I remember feeling like I was looking pretty good. That's so funny. <laughs> I'm sure you felt cool. Well, I didn't, though, because it wasn't a right fit for me. Yeah. I bounced around from, like, the rave crowd for a while and then, like, the hacky sack. And, and I was always, like, on the periphery. Yeah. It's hard with college because you like are sort of trying to reinvent yourself. I went to the same school from when I was like in preschool to a senior. Like, so I wasn't in that world where I was like meeting people from all over until college. And then I was like, oh my gosh, it's hard. I don't know if you went through that college phase where you're so eager to talk about your opinions <laughs> that you're so blindly forceful in your ideas. <laughs> Yeah, everyone thinks that they're so smart. I remember like sitting in class, yeah, wanting to speak up. What did you major in? I majored in communications, but eventually I became a French major too. Because if you studied abroad, which I did for a semester in Paris, they really liked having language majors. So like most classes that had any kind of like linguistics element to them counted towards a French major. Right. Okay. What talent or ability would you most like to have? I would love to be athletic in any sport. I've never been an athlete at all. And I just would love to know what that feels like to be like good at a sport. Are you good at like anything with coordination? Not great. I'm not either. Yeah, I can like distance run, which is like a thing that you train yourself to do sort of. Well, if you could play a sport, what would it be? I would love to be good at any sport. Honestly, if I could play tennis really well, if I could play basketball really well, if I was good at soccer, any of those, it would be so cool. My cousin, I talk about this all the time. She went to Ohio State on a soccer scholarship, my cousin Mia, and she lives in LA and we hang out all the time. And I always am telling people that she went to Ohio State on a soccer scholarship because I'm like, what's cooler than that? <laughs> That's amazing. I'm terrible at sports. They really intimidate me. I know. I think I really fell into that idea of like, you throw like a girl. Like that was told so many times at such a young age to me. Sadly, I think the same thing with math a bit, but you know how that kind of thing goes. What haven't you taken the time to learn about? There's so many things I haven't taken the time to learn about. Where to start, I guess would be my answer to that. I know. I always get embarrassed when there's like an author or somebody that I'm completely unfamiliar with that I really feel like I should know. Yes, me too. <laughs> I wish I was more of an avid reader than I am. And whenever I read like one book, I have to ask everybody if they've read this book because I'm like, now everyone knows I read a book. I have been reading more over the quarantine, but that means like three books. Yeah, I'm with you on that. When do you throw caution to the wind? 
when I have literally like one glass of wine. <laughs> like, what do you do? I eat a lot. I mean, that's my main thing. So I like go into my fridge and I eat a lot. Does it sound like I have the most fun life ever? I do think I'm a real lightweight when it comes to drinking. I guess I'm thinking more short term because like we're not going out as much now, you know? So if I'm home and I have like one glass of wine, I'll like eat everything in my cabinet. So I guess I'm a cool person who's fun to hang out with. Totally. Okay. Has a stranger ever changed your life? Let me think about that one. I was doing a reading for my book, which I guess I keep plugging. It's called, How Do You Care for a Very Sick Bear? For this children's book. And I was at this YMCA. I was doing a reading of it. And somebody asked me like, what would be some advice you would give someone who's going through cancer treatment? And I said, this is just one chapter of your life. You'll get past it. But also you should use it to like get out of things you don't want to do and like get things that you want. (laughs) And I use this example, which is that I used to come in late to school all the time and I would be excused because I had cancer. And it was like the greatest thing in the world. It was like the best late pass. Anyway, this woman was like, my son was diagnosed with leukemia at the same age as you, 15, and he's here and he would love to like come up and give you a hug. And this kid gave me a hug. It makes me cry to talk about it. He gave me a hug and whispered in my ear. The way that he talked was like, I remember that's how I talked when I was like going through treatment. You're like voices weaker. But he said in my ear, he said, I use it to get out of math class. And it just made me so happy because I was just where he was. I just remembered being there and my body kind of like coming back and getting stronger again. And just to hear him say that and know that maybe what I had said had been helpful to him, but also what he said was helpful to me and that there's like this unspoken language, yeah, like this unspoken community. And also like, let's all just like get whatever we can out of this thing because it's like so hard to go through an illness like that. So let's all just use it. Yeah. My son was born at 31 weeks. Wow. Two and a half months early. So he was in the NICU at Cedars here in Los Angeles. And it was one of those times that's so difficult to have a summation of. Ugh. But the community of parents, you know, it was all across the board in terms of socioeconomic. It's Los Angeles in a crowded NICU. But we all had that intense common bond. And so there was a lot of like direct eye contact. Yeah. There was a lot of kindness and just that cloak of support that you feel. Yeah. Because only you can identify with it. Right. It's so moving though, Vanessa. Will you tell us a little bit about your show? I love this for you. So you're producing it with Jeremy? Yeah. And we're filming the pilot in the next couple months. Fingers crossed. And we're filming it with Showtime, who have been just amazing. And it's sort of loosely based on my life, but it's this woman who had childhood leukemia and she grows up to get her dream job, which is working at a home shopping network. I really loved home shopping a lot when I was little. I think Jeremy did too. That's so great. That's so fantastic, Vanessa. Thanks so much. It's been so fun working on it. We were supposed to film the pilot a year ago and then the quarantine stuff started. But gosh, I've been able to knit so much stuff, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But I love it that you get to play a character who, not necessarily a dueling personality, but... Yes, totally, totally. That's so fun. It's been really fun. Yeah, it's been amazing. Do you have a favorite movie that you could watch over and over? I mean, I really love Tommy Boy. When I was growing up, my family and I used to watch Tommy Boy all the time. I love Troop Beverly Hills. I just watched it again and I was like, oh, this movie is so good. I do love Pretty Woman. When I answer that question to myself, it always changes. Oh, Wet Hot American Summer too. That movie is so funny. It's so good. All right. What intimidates you? 
I think coldness from people because it's hard for me to relate to that. It's kind of scary to me. Terrifying to me as well. Yeah. And I take it very personally. Yes, I do too. What's a trait you dislike in yourself? I think I'm too concerned with what other people think of me. Like I'm too much of a people pleaser a little bit. This is probably too strong of a word, but it can feel a little debilitating at times. It can keep me from doing what I want to do or make what I want to do harder because I'm so worried about making sure that everyone's okay and that I'm liked. Do you mean that on a creative like business level? I think in kind of all areas, but yeah. Sometimes I stupidly don't second guess strong opinions of mine, but I'm very trusting of people in terms of the creative process. Yes. I trust that everybody else knows exactly what they're doing. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that might be the fault of mine. What's a trait you dislike in others? I don't really like when people are competitive. That's a tough one for me. Yeah. What do you think is the meaning of life, Vanessa? I guess to just enjoy ourselves. (laughs) To have a good time all the time. (laughs) Vanessa says, party on. (laughs) She'll join you with a glass of wine. Yes. All right. What was your first love like? I don't know that I've really had my first true love. I was going to ask you that, actually, Vanessa, because I feel like I sort of pressed you with, like, heavy crushes. (laughs) Nothing really came to mind. A guy who went to a country you don't even know. Yeah. (laughs) What do you think of that? I've definitely been in love with people and I've had really sad breakups and stuff, but nobody, when we broke up, I was like, oh, I can't continue. It was always just sort of like, yeah. Like it didn't feel as intense as like your friends would experience? Yeah. Like I'd maybe be like sad for a little while. Do you seek it, Vanessa? I do, for sure. I've dated some people that I've really loved, but I feel like I'm coming off as like being callous and I don't mean it that way. No, no, I don't think so at all. Like I've had such intense crushes and dated people that I've really liked, but I don't think any of them were like true loves or maybe it's just the way that I remember it or something. I think about that a lot, like how memory sharpens itself Yeah. to either something really positive or really negative. It gets sharpened and then the rest of the stuff gets blurred and erased pretty much. Yeah. I just didn't feel part of that world. Yeah. Vanessa, do you believe in ghosts or aliens? I do. Both. I feel ghosts for sure. I mean, I don't personally feel them, but I feel they exist. And I feel like aliens have to exist because the universe is so big. I feel like we can't be the only... No, I'm with you. It feels like the odds are our imaginations are smaller than the universe. (laughs) Yeah, right? Do you believe in those things? I don't really believe in ghosts or apparitions. I'm pretty cynical about that. Mostly it's because just the stories I've heard. You're like, yeah. I don't know if like ghosts are necessarily haunting like the condo building down the street that was built in 1981. Right. But I think if people need that, then that's what they need. Yeah. Sadly, I kind of believe that we become soil. (laughs) I'm sorry, Vanessa. It's a real bummer. (laughs) Who knows? You know? Sometimes I ask people what their relationship with fame is. But I was hesitant about asking you because I get the impression that you don't think about it too much. I really don't. Yeah, I don't think about it very often. And then I was going to ask you about what your relationship with religion was. But with having leukemia, like, I don't know, there's something that feels uniquely personal about asking you that. Yeah, I mean, I was born Jewish. Both of my parents are Jewish. 
I consider myself Jewish, but we've always been more culturally Jewish than we were religious. And so I don't practice a ton of Judaism, but I appreciate it. And I think I have a lot of like Jewish guilt. What do you have guilt about? Like not calling people? Yeah, just all of it. I feel like Jews are always just like feel bad about everything. I think that was a form of discipline that my mom used. Guilting you. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's just a backpack that I wear, (laughs) you know. Hey, what's the best advice you've ever been given? I might be making this up. Okay. I might've read it in a book. It might've never been sent to me. I love this. I want to hear it. I don't know if it was in the context of auditioning or if it was in the context of like doing stand up or what it was, but it was like, just be the best version of yourself because like, that's the only thing that nobody can do better than you. You are the best person at being yourself. So always lead with that. That makes so much sense in the world of stand-up, particularly because any attempt to anticipate what an audience might want from you or expect from you or to play to them as opposed to really trusting that your own weirdness and uniqueness is going to be what's enjoyable. Totally. You're not going to do a better job of like a shtick of someone else's or like being a certain type. It's a scary thing, though, to do that. Yes. Wait, so did you crush on Jared Leto? Oh, yes. I was in love with him. I was so in love with him. I think I'm on to something. You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. Were intense crushes easier with celebrities? If Jared Leto was like a safety crush? Yeah. I think they were easier with celebrities or with people that I never talked to. Like people that I would like never naturally be in conversation with. So it was like you could funnel your passions towards Jared. But wait, I want to hear your story. When I was in high school, I got to do Make-A-Wish. You just have to have a life-threatening disease. You don't have to be terminal. A lot of people don't know that. Anyways, I got to do Make-A-Wish. And it was my senior year of high school. And I had such a crush on Jared Leto from My So-Called Life, which had not been on for a few years. (laughs) So I was like, my wish is going to be that I want to meet Jared Leto. And then I told my parents, actually, I don't want to meet Jared Leto because I'd rather meet him when we're peers. Okay. I said that to my parents, very cocky teenager. So my parents were like, okay. And then instead we went to Hawaii. So then cut to like my second or third year on SNL. And I was introducing Miley Cyrus at the MTV VMAs. And Jared Leto was there because he was introducing someone. And I got to meet him and like our SNL publicist, Lauren told his publicist the story. And I think his publicist told him or something. Anyways, that's how I met him was we were both presenters at the MTV Video Awards. And then I didn't have Instagram yet, but like he took a picture with me and he posted it on his Instagram. So I have a picture of it. And we were literally peers. So you told Jared that he was your almost make-a-wish? I think the publicist had that conversation. I think the story got related to him. And he was so nice. I think he said to me something like, you're such a great actress or something. Anyways, the point is, it's just so crazy that that happened. Someone pointed out to me like that we would just be in a situation 20 years later that we would both be at this place was sort of crazy. And that you predicted it. And then I predicted it. And then I had that level of confidence as a teenager that I was like, oh, we'll meet when we're peers. Like, who says that? Yeah. And you made it happen. You know, I just made it happen. Hey, Vanessa, I just love you. And I can't thank you enough. You too. Thank you for having me. Vanessa, I love you. This was so much fun. You too. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey everyone, April Beyer is back now officially as my much-needed co-host. As you know from previous episodes, April brings great advice, insight, and years of experience. I am so thrilled to have her. Hi, April. Hi, Anna. It's good to see you. It's great to see you too. I am so glad you're my co-host. Thank you so much for doing this. You're amazing. Oh, are you kidding? This is amazing to be with you. Okay, let's call Audra. Hi, Audra. Hey. Hey, how are you? Thank you for doing this. I'm Anna, and this is April, the qualified one. Hi, so nice to meet you guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Hi, Audra. Audra, will you tell us what's happening? Okay, so three years ago, I moved to Seattle, and I didn't know anyone. And after a few months of living there, I actually met my partner, and after a few months of dating, we learned we both love tiny living, that kind of stuff. And we decided to build out a camper van together, which I heard from friends was not a great idea with someone you just met, but it went really well. And we ended up traveling for two years together, adopted a couple little chihuahuas along the way. And now we are looking to just kind of like settle down, focus on jobs, what we want to do with life. And we have talked about marriage before. I have never been married. He has been married once and was divorced. I'm not super traditional. Like I'm not trying to do it to please my family. No one's pressuring me. It's just something I like and nothing flashy, you know, like an elopement, just us commitment style. So he's made comments about why don't more women propose? Like it's so a lot of pressure on just men. Okay. When was the last time you guys maybe talked about it? Within the past few weeks. And what about your relationships previously from this fella? The one before him, I dated for six years. That relationship, we never talked about it. Started in our early 20s, ended mid to late 20s. I guess just wasn't something I thought about with other people. That's interesting. I felt the same way about kids in my first marriage. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, it never came up. <laughs> I kind of want to press you further on why you want to get married, but I'm looking at April. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same question. Just that commitment, like celebrating we love each other and we wouldn't break up over marriage or anything. It's just romantic. 
I like marriage because I'm just a naturally monogamous. I'm just a relationship person. I love to function in a relationship. And I like sort of the societal security a little bit. I have a ton of issues with the state's involvement and the misogynistic ceremonial elements. You name it. But I do appreciate it for the security that it provides. And even though people clearly break the rules with infidelity all the time, I do believe it sends a signal to other people around you. Don't necessarily infiltrate this relationship because we're a team. Those are the reasons I like marriage. It worries me that he's making you feel not secure in the relationship. And that's why maybe this is something that you want because you feel like maybe at this point the balance in your love is off. Anyway, those are my thoughts without knowing anything. Audra, have you shared your definition of marriage with him, the one you just gave to us? Yeah, I have. And how is it received? He was a little hesitant. I mean, when we first met, we talked about like why he was divorced, obviously. It was just something that came up and there was a lot of infidelity, not on his end. Like that's not a problem for us. That's not the issue. And he has told me he would get remarried. Just that pressure of asking, it's kind of a lot to put on someone. I guess that's a lot to put on me too, but... Do you believe that it's pressure for someone to ask the question, even if they know that the other person will say yes? Well, as somebody who has pretty bad anxiety, just thinking about asking somebody myself or watching somebody else ask somebody to marry them is kind of nerve wracking. Audra, it's one of my many issues. Is it? (laughs) Oh, totally. I think that the structure of having the surprise element part of your future commitment is kind of fucked up. Yes. Yes. You know the Zales jewelry commercials where he's proposing and it's the women that are screaming and crying, yes, yes, as if it's a big surprise. I've always found that to be kind of funny because it shouldn't be a surprise. You're only going to spend the next 30, 40, 50 plus years (laughs) with this person. No surprises. Right? Like, You're not going to like start a business without sitting down and having really structured conversations about that business and who's going to do what in the relationship and you're going to have contracts and it's a very thoughtful, intentional conversation to partner. And yet somehow with proposal, it feels like this fantasy of surprise. So I'm in alignment with you on that one, Anna. I love it. You know what? We should start a new movement because if you guys are this close and you guys got into a camper van, which by the way, has always been one of my big fantasies. Like I just want to get in a, like a camper van and like fit it out and just travel with somebody. Audra's like, I'm not sure if you would like it, April. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's in my head as a cool thing, but then I'm sure I'll be like dying to get home into my bed a day later. But the fact that you guys were in small quarters and you did that and it went so well You know, how we travel with somebody in confined quarters is a reflection of how we get along, right? Like kind of roughing it and you're not in a five-star hotel. So it says a lot. April, you're right. I feel like I kind of brushed that element aside a little bit, but you're completely right. That kind of compatibility is really tested. And it sounds like you guys like have that exact same, even if you have other personality traits that are different, You have something that's a a fundamental commonality. Well, also, you know, Audra, 
the question itself is a pressure cooker situation, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong or bad. It makes men nervous to ask, even when they know they're going to get the yes, but it's over so fast. It's just a question. I think what's really happening is the marital commitment, because he experienced infidelity, is giving him pause. He's telling you it's the question itself. I don't think that's what we should tackle. Because really, honestly, we could like do what Anna said. Two people could sit down with one another and just say, hey, we should talk about getting married. Maybe there's not even an engagement ring. It's just like, let's get married. And on that day, you both give each other a ring. So it's very even and very thoughtful and very mature and co-partnership style. But maybe that's not what we're dealing with today. We're focusing on the question. What we should be focusing on is, does he have any kind of real trepidation about marriage because there's a little bit of that sting from his previous. Personally, I highly doubt that just from talking with him about it over the years, the marriage aspect, not the previous infidelity. I think he wants to kind of bring that level of commitment out of me in a way because of my anxiety. Like it's showing him that taking that initiative to ask him something I want and taking it for myself, that's what I get out of him telling me to ask. That's an angle I didn't expect and that I I don't know. I mean, he clearly knows you very well. Do you feel like you should be more courageous in the relationship when it comes to this? I'm definitely probably more of the reserved person in our relationship. So he almost wants to know that you really want it and that you're really ready for it. True? Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> so if you can tell your friends and your family and your future children that you two came together with a mutual decision to marry and you are the one that said to him, I am ready to love you. I am ready to marry you. Would that be too big of a leap? Just for me to take personally? To say it, I want to be married because for me, it's the romance. It's the celebration of our love. It's the commitment. It means it's about us. We're a team. That's what it means to me. And, you know, if that's what it means to you too, then let's do this. My mother used to say that all women ask men to marry them. We just don't say it out loud. right and I remember like when she first told me that I was in my teens I was like that's bs like we don't ask but she's right she's 100% correct I think we lead the way with our inspiration and our womanly ways and they end up getting down on one knee and actually popping the question but we've already inspired it long before they do most guys don't pop the question unless they know they're probably going to get a yes. And if they're delaying on the popping of the question, it's because they're nervous that they're not going to get the acceptance and the yes. So I'm really in love with what Anna said, which I think we should honestly just <laughs> make this a movement. Proposals as conversations. Oh, I have all kinds of ideas about the ceremony, too. We can get into this later. <laughs> I would love that. It's a new concept written by Anna Ferris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's no longer a proposal in the form of question. It is a proposal in the form of a beautiful conversation. Yeah. Well, two divorces later, <laughs> I can say that. <laughs> right? For me, the touchy area to explore, if there is a reason that these conversations have happened lately, 
if you are getting a sense of a shift in the relationship? So we have talked about it pretty much since we met, but so now we're looking at settling down. We are working on buying a first house together. Neither of us have owned a house before. Children, like a lot of pretty bigger talks, opening a brick and mortar store, stuff that's really locking us down to this location. Like this is what I want. Cool. I love this. Great. That's awesome. Do you have an idea of what kind of ring he would like? Yeah. So he works in the bicycle industry. So he has expressed like not metal. So he prefers a handmade wooden ring or a pendant type of thing. And we have talked about that stuff. He's told me he doesn't like rings. A couple months ago, I bought a ring sizer. It was like, just do this. I'm not saying I'm going to try to propose to you. Just do it for future knowledge, I guess. So I think we both want to be clear before we give you advice on how to pop the question, if that is your question. You don't feel that he is lacking in commitment to you. You know that with the business and the house purchase and everything else you're talking about, you are both equally committed to this partnership. I believe so. I feel like we're both putting in the work to do it. Like we both have flaws and we talk about those things. And when we don't communicate well, like how can we fix those things? What can we do better? So it really is then just the question itself. You're saying it's not the infidelity from his previous. You're just saying that question feels like too much pressure for him. He wants your participation in that. Yeah. And it could be like if he was dating somebody else, maybe he wouldn't need that. But for some reason, you mentioned your anxiety, that he needs it directly from you. He wants your full-on participation and commitment in this proposal. Yeah. Hmm. That's really interesting. That tells me that he needs more. And also, you guys are clearly non-traditional. The way you started your relationship and the fact that he doesn't want to ring, the fact that he doesn't want to be the guy getting down on one knee. Let's not try to make something that it's not. If you two are these unique, interesting, non-traditional kind of people, go with it. Don't try to be like everybody else. Don't try to fit into a cookie cutter, what commercials and movies tell you it should be. It's you two. As you just said it so beautifully earlier on, you said, this is us. So do it your way as the two of you would do it. Yeah. I mean, I've thought about ways I could do it and I'm not a showy person. Like I'm not going to go to a restaurant and embarrass him or put that pressure on us. Like it would be definitely a more private thing. Like we are camping in a national park. We're going to be camping right next to you, Audra. <laughs> We're going to have like our tricked out camper vans. <laughs> Audra, yes. did you do it yet? <laughs> but <laughs> that sounds right up your alley. And I wonder if it is like I made a gift for you and I would love to call you my husband. So that in that simplicity, maybe that takes some of the weight off of both of you. I don't think I would get down on my knee or anything. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Just casual. No, I believe you guys are cozy in bed or you're sitting out by the fire and you're holding each other and you just do what Anna said, which is, you know, I want to be your wife and I want you to be my husband and I want to live this life with you. You know, you are already my partner. Let's make it about us. You actually don't even need to give him anything. What I think is equally as important to give him what he wants so that you can make this a smoother pavement for him to journey into this next marriage 
is I also want to make sure that you're getting your needs met. So you should probably tell us what it is that you want so that you never look back and regret and say, gosh, I did everything that he needed, but I didn't get a ring or I didn't get proposed to, or like, what do you, do you feel that's important for you? No, I mean, I guess maybe in the whole like movie TV trope, like maybe I'd be missing that kind of like fantasy proposal, but it's also, that's a fantasy. And like my proposal would be by real life. I don't be equally as exciting, if not more exciting. And also a kind of picked out my own rings. So I would probably just buy it for myself. If you're going to buy your own rings, you have to give us a really good reason as to why. So even though you don't need or necessarily require the traditional, it's so important when you enter into a marriage that you're both putting in equal energy and design and commitment and making sure that you're waking up and going, how do I make this person's life better? It's tough, but we have to consistently remind ourselves in marriage because if one person is doing more of the heavy lifting than the other, it can feel really imbalanced. Like it's easy to get married. It's harder to stay married and even harder to get a divorce. So can you think of reasons as to why you would buy your own ring? Like just make sure that you're not driving the bus in every single situation just because you don't think you need it. Of course, we know you don't need it, but also add in a little whimsy Add in a little bit of like, I would like, not just I don't need it. So it's okay if you buy your own ring. But like April said, there has to be some movement on his end in the actual process of marriage. So maybe that's in a different way. It may bother you if he's not proactive at all. You just have to make sure that you're checking that a little bit. Is he as invested as you want him to be? Or... Maybe it wouldn't bother you at all. And that's totally fine. It's something to be aware of. Am I right, April? Do you think that I sort of followed through with your line of thinking? Kind yeah, of? you actually clarified it better. It's the participation. You know, sometimes we feel like we've got to do everything, but what we really need to do is just state our wishes and our dreams and then just literally sit back in faith and trust. I've always disagreed with the woman wearing the engagement and the guy not having anything during engagement. You know, maybe there should just be one ring for both and that both people are wearing a ring of commitment and it doesn't change or maybe it's added to on the day of, but maybe those are removed and then replaced with this new meaning. So it could be that you both have something that you wear as this sort of symbol of your love. I love the fact that you guys are designing your own course. I think all we're saying is, can he participate in some way when you state what it is that you're doing? Because you want his buy-in, you want his involvement in all things, it sounds like. You guys sound like really good partners. Why shouldn't you be partners in your proposal? I don't know how much the symbolism of the ring, it sounds like that might not mean that much to him. Maybe he can prove his commitment in a different way. I just want to make sure that, Audra, you're taken care of on every level at every stage. When you get married, you have to get each other's buy-in on most things. You want Chinese tonight or French? Do you want to go to this movie or that movie? Like, why should the proposal be one-sided? Like, the marriage isn't. Nobody's making 100% of the decisions or asking all the questions in any marriage that I know of that's healthy. We're always collaborating and compromising and asking each other, what do you think? Is that okay? Do you want that? Do you not want that? So why can't a proposal be that? And I think you two are the ones to do it, and then I think you should like write about it and blog about it and teach all of us how to really do it right. 
I guess I'm not sure if you're asking how to ask the question or if you should ask it. I don't know. I guess even though he just, he tells me like in that kind of joking way, like why don't more women do it? It's just still like, I don't know. I know I do know men who would be like emasculated by a woman doing that or I don't know. I don't think he would be that way. And I think he would probably say yes. I don't think he would leave me hanging. The whole ring thing, I feel like that's kind of, I was taking his input in that moment. Like I didn't just buy a ring I liked. I asked him what he would want and he told me the material and how he would want to wear it. And I feel like male to women proposals, like they just buy a ring. And a lot of the times it's an ugly ring that person didn't even want. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it ruined the surprise by asking him or buying the ring sizer. I don't know. I wanted him to love it. Yeah. He's going to wear it every day of his life. You know, I'm like you, I'm very practical and pragmatic about most things in life. So this whole concept of surprise is so overrated. It's really overrated. I'm so glad you guys have been, you know, having conversations, thoughtful, intentional conversations about the ring and the life and the business and the house. And that's exactly as it should be. I mean, we can tell you how to do it. We just want to make sure that you're comfortable with it and that you're not just doing it for him because he doesn't like the pressure of the proposal, but that you've actually think it's a good idea and that you want to make him feel better because you're seeing a vulnerability in him that he's having a hard time coming up with the question. He feels for whatever pressure. And because you love him so much, you want to make it easier for him. You know he's going to say yes. If it doesn't hurt you to do it, it doesn't hurt your soul, it doesn't hurt your ego, your self-esteem, then why the hell not? Yeah. I mean, if it was hurting you, we would give you different advice, but I don't think it is. Yeah, I think it's more like pure nerves, not like fear or like fear of being hurt. It's, yeah, it's pure anxiety, adrenaline. Yeah. The day that my husband proposed to me, I didn't know he was proposing that day. I knew he was going to around that time. I could feel it, but I had no idea that there was a ring being made for me. And yes, he did ask me what kind of ring I liked, but I didn't know it was that day. And I'll never forget the day we went to a restaurant in San Francisco and he was acting like a total jerk. He was remote and distant and cranky and crabby. And I thought, oh, good Lord, he's breaking up with me. And he wouldn't finish his lunch. And we went for a walk and he got down on one knee and proposed. And of course, I started bawling my eyes out because I was just not so happy that we were getting engaged. I was so grateful that he wasn't going to just like end the relationship with me. He had so much anxiety and pressure asking me, even though he knew I was going to say yes, there was still pressure because it's a lot. He was worried if he was going to say it correctly. Was it going to be romantic enough? Was I going to blog about it? Like he was so concerned. And so that's how men feel. We as women have just never been put in that position to do something so bold before. We forget just how much energy it takes to do something like that. I would just say embrace the fear, embrace the anxiety, lean into it yeah, and just be real with it. Like, hey, I'm nervous as all get out and this is causing me so much anxiety and I'm excited, but I'm this and like, ah, like let it be whatever it is instead of making it something different. And that'll help you. We can't tell you not to be anxious. It's a natural emotion. So use it. When I would audition 
my body would shake so much. My neck would start to like tremble, like I could feel my head moving back and forth. (laughs) One time I was at an audition and I left and the casting director said, we want you to come back in, but you have to be way less nervous. (laughs) I was like, oh God. But I think speaking about that anxiety, it's always good for me to like challenge myself to overcome, you know, it's good for one's growth to be courageous, especially when the outcomes are positive. Oh, by the way, at some point, I'll do a whole rant about the bridal party, which I also have issues with. I think it's a horrible idea to rank your friends. I'll leave it at that for right now. (laughs) Let's do a show just on that alone. That is amazing. I didn't have bridesmaids for that very same reason. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We could just set, like, the new standard for weddings. (laughs) Yeah. I I was thinking, like, courthouse or hike a mountain, us and officiator person. Yeah. You know, like, very small. Totally. That sounds so romantic, and it's going to be great. I think he will be really impressed. If he believes that it's something that you would let your anxiety consume you, then it would be nice to be able to prove him wrong on that. Audra, I hope we gave you some good advice. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's nice to talk to people. I honestly don't personally know any women who have ever proposed to men. I know women to women proposals, but I don't know any women who have ever proposed to a man. Yeah, I don't think I do either. Do you, Anna? I don't know. I don't think so. But I don't have that many friends. <laughs> <laughs> But that's just it, Audra. I don't think that's what you're doing. I think what you're doing is you're starting the conversation. And my guess and my intuition is telling me that he's going to be right there and he's going to come up with something really, really beautiful right back. So instead of saying, I did the proposal, it's I started it. I created the atmosphere. I designed it. And then what you'll get back when you show that kind of courage might be kind of profound and beautiful. That's what I'm envisioning for you is this blend. But one person might have to start it, right, just to get him over that little tiny hill. If I think he is who he think he is, he's probably going to come right back and say, yes, I want to marry you. Yes, I want you to. And it won't feel like you did it. I guess that's kind of, I don't know. I want it to be like this choice we've made. And even though we've talked about it, like, me proposing or him proposing. Like, I want this thing we did together. Yeah. You're fine as long as you know he's committed and he wants to marry you. If he doesn't want to be married and you're proposing as a way of asserting your desire and your plan and agenda, that's different. If he has zero problem with commitment and marriage, then you're good. You're golden. Who cares who starts the conversation? It really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Life isn't about our engagement hour. It's about our life together. Yeah. My um, fiance, who's sitting right here, (laughs) we talked it out beforehand. I I told him my strong feelings about surprise parties and surprise engagement. (laughs) I think I love you, Anna. I'm the same exact way. Don't surprise me. Nope. Don't want it. So we talked about it, and it was fantastic. And April, I'm with you on the engagement rings. But Audra... I hope that you guys get married on a mountaintop and live in the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest home. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I hope that we helped. Yeah, no, this is really helpful. Thank you. And Audra, thanks for sharing, though, too. 
I bet that a lot of people will be able to relate to this exact thing. You're not alone, Audra. There's a lot of people trying to tackle this marriage business. <laughs> and you're going to change the way people do it. There's a lot of women, especially if they're with somebody who's been married before and that relationship wasn't successful for that person. There's a lot of men that wish a woman would stand in and stand up for them as well for the next go around. So you're going to teach us all something, which is why I would love for you to kind of share the story after you do it, because it will create a shift and you'll give a lot of people courage and will make it more of an even playing field so that everybody participates in their proposal. Oh, I'll, I'll definitely let you know when I kind of work up the balls to <laughs> do it. <laughs> Please do, Audra. All right. Well, I hope we helped and thank you for hanging out with us and goodbye. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you too. Thanks, Audra. April, once again, you're so amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. It's so good to be with you. Okay. We will talk soon. Bye, April. Bye for now. Bye. 